Welcome to the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Super excited today to welcome Chris Connolly to the program. Now, Chris is based in Denver, Colorado, and is vice president at the Logic Group, where he's been since 2018. Uh, if you know that company, then you know that they are excellent at providing data collection, technology, and services for their clients and customers, uh, operational services for their clients and customers in the research space. So super cool company. Now, Chris is also uh, active in the Insights Association Southwest chapter, I believe, on the board of directors, if I'm not mistaken. South Central. South Central. South Central. South Central. Yes. Hey. They changed the name about a year and a half ago. That's right. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, me too, then. It's kind of like emerging, right? So <laughs> yeah. I, I am a fan. I'm a fan of the Insights Association. I am, am a member, uh, so so good on you for that. Uh, and lastly, you know, if you, if you live in Denver or live in Boulder, in or around those areas, or have in the last, oh, I don't know, like uh, 30 years or so, it's almost certain that at some point you've seen Chris on stage, either at a bar or a festival or a coffee shop, uh, performing songs and all that good stuff. He's been doing it for a long time around that area. So we're going to talk about all that and more on today's podcast. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Excited to do the show. Uh, you've got a great back catalog of good. Uh, catalog of stuff so uh, anybody who's watching this go back and watch the other ones too there's some really fantastic uh folks who are who are involved in the in the podcast and, and a good history there yeah awesome i appreciate the plug i i have to agree with you i think i uh, had lots of really cool guests so i do hope uh, people uh explore the back catalog i do want to say also that i have uh becky schultz from market vision to thank for putting us in touch. She has done that on a number of occasions for me. So thank you, Becky. Um, Thanks, Becky. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Becky. I appreciate that. So, so you know how this goes? Chris, let's talk research first. So it's always interesting to hear the origin story. So how'd you get into to research? Okay. So I guess uh, I'm here because I'm a researcher, but I rock and roll too. So <laughs> we'll start <laughs> off with the, with the bread and potatoes. Um, You're in the right place. So uh, yeah, 25 years ago, um, really kind of by chance, actually, um, I uh, started off as, as a phone interviewer, believe it or not. So I worked at a company, uh, Aspen Information. At that point in time, I believe it was Quantum Research. And uh, we were doing a, a lot of uh, media audit research uh, as phone interviews uh, in markets across the country. Uh, worked on the phones there through the summer and actually an opportunity came up to work within uh, the data processing and programming departments. Mm -hmm. So uh, hopped on there, interviewed well and and uh, and, and got the job. Um, uh, they gave me training on on how to really come up to speed with, with tech. Really at that point in time, I didn't have much of a tech background um, aside from you know, programming classes uh, in high school and college. Yeah. Um, and I worked for those departments kind of as, uh, you know, as a foot soldier for, for a few years and then started moving into management. So I uh, managed uh, data processing, then moved on to uh, managing uh, programming. Then I hopped the fence and I moved into client services and actually ran the, the programming and client services department simultaneously for a while. 
um, cool. and uh, with that experience uh, built into uh, internal sales, uh, working on uh, contracts and bids for for existing clients. Um, really had a lot of background with uh, with operations and people management, right. uh, which I think really, for my part, I really appreciate that because it really helps me understand the human aspect of, of what it takes to get work done. And that, that really comes to what it takes to get work done on our side of, uh, of the equation and also on the client side of the equation. So when it comes to when it comes to dealing with difficult situations, really understanding that everybody comes to the table with their background of, of challenges that they're dealing with and, and being able yeah. to assimilate that into your uh, into your process and into your solution really helps to be able to bring things to a conclusion that's successful. Um, and then uh, let's see, uh, Aspen actually over time, Aspen was was bought out by a group that was really really more focused on BPO work. So really more appointment setting and things having to do with phone contact. So sure. that's when I, I joined Logic Group. And Logic Group, I kind of changed my uh, changed my focus from operations to more of a business development and solutions oriented and orientation. Sure. Um, and uh, one thing that was really great about uh, joining Logit is Logit's really got a diverse uh, set of different services. So I was really able to jump in with a supportive group of mentors who are able to teach me about uh, all the different methodologies I was kind of missing out on over time, you know, being uh, really in that caddy world for, for such a long time. So right. um, it's been great. And it's also, uh, it takes me back. I went to high school in Canada. Uh, so uh, working with uh, folks who were based out of Toronto, um, oh, that's uh, cool. brought me back to that. Um, although, as I mentioned, uh, Logit, uh, even though we're, we're based out of uh, the Toronto area, uh, global company. So it's, it's been really, it's really been great to, have the opportunity to work across different methodologies and then actually branch out into doing a lot of work globally and working with uh, uh, with global resources. Um, keeps me up late at night, but I'm used to that because rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, one thing uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, sort of having that caddy background, uh, I found that people that sort of come from that world uh, really have a good, strong foundation when it comes to data quality practices, you know, as yeah. it applies to the online world, because that's when you really had, you know, every project really had a whole lot of uh, sort of checks and controls and it, uh, interventions and tweaks and that sort of thing, because you're you're dealing with, with phone surveys that either work or they don't for the respondents. So, uh, right. so it's a good background to have. Would you, would you agree? I would agree. And the thing is with Caddy, you know right away what's happening with your respondents, seeing as you're on with them live. But we talk a lot about respondent experience when it comes to online interviewing. And, right. and unless unless you're really diving in yourself and, and taking a look to make sure that uh, the interface is working, yeah. how are you going to know? I mean, you, there's times you'll have drops and whatnot, but nobody's sending you an email saying, hey, uh, my experience has been terrible. What's happening is you're just getting bad data. Um, yeah. I'd also say on the caddy side, a lot of that work was very methodology driven too. So a lot of things having to do with response rate or having to do with uh, very, very paced, even filling of quotas across different quota dimensions and whatnot. I did a lot of work in political polling, which was very fast paced, but very demanding as far as uh, as far as methodology is concerned. Right. And something that's kind of unique about that is you kind of get scored, you know, after the election happens, you know, whether or not your projections were, were close or not. Yeah. So all those different things really really kind of set the table 
uh, for me to be able to grow into the other methodologies and, and carry through those those same uh, lessons into these different um, different contexts. It's all the same thing, though. It's all about basically uh, providing quality insights and quality data so that the story that you're telling um, at the boardroom table actually uh, has bearing in reality, right? Yep, 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 exactly. So let's talk rock and roll, man. So you've been, right on. You've been at it for a long time. So uh, tell us about how you got started and, and a bit about your journey. Sure. It's been a long journey, that's for sure. Um, I start. I started playing guitar in high school. It's kind of funny. Um, I've got a somewhat of an embarrassing story, but uh, back in the 80s, back when people used to lip sync, uh, I was in <laughs> middle school and I, and I did a talent show where we did the... Uh, we did lip syncing, and um, unfortunately, you're not in control of your own music. Uh, you know, it's it's what gets played yeah. uh, that, that drives what you're doing. And this was back in the day of of, of uh, you know cassette tapes. So, um, the person who was running the AV, the the unfortunate eighth grader who was uh, back there uh, in control of the show, put our put our song on the wrong side. So the, the tape was put on the wrong oh, side. No! The song, the choreography <laughs> and everything all figured out. What we were going to do down to a T. Song starts off. It's the wrong song. It's in the middle of some <laughs> random song on the other side of this tape, and I'm left explaining with no microphone too, just you know, kind of hollering up to this guy at the back of the uh, at the back of the auditorium. Hey, it's the wrong side, wrong side of the tape. Could you flip it over? Could we start over? It was really embarrassing, and I told myself I'm never going to step on stage ever again unless I'm playing my own dang music. And then there was actually a band played later, a real band that played, and I was really jealous. I thought, you know, those guys look really cool, and I feel really not cool after that experience. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, taking destiny into my own hands, I uh, decided it, it's time to it's time to figure it out for myself. My my family's musical, so there was a guitar that was in the house. My dad used to play, uh, you know, acoustic kind of folk type music and whatnot. So he he quit, but there was still uh, instruments around the house. So I was able to grab sure. something, grab a book. Uh, actually, I took lessons briefly uh, in classical, but most of what I learned of I've learned on my own. Yeah, yeah, cool. Cool. And so uh, how long was it before you were playing in bands and doing all that sort of thing? Playing in bands pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, got got my chords down, uh, moved. As I mentioned, I, I lived in Canada for a while. So um, I started playing. I was in Washington State and then I moved to Ottawa, Canada. Uh, I was in kind of a podunk little town when I lived in, in Washington State, a little fishing town called Gig Harbor, which is now grown up. And it's really kind of a bedroom community for the Seattle Tacoma area. Right. Um, but moving to Ottawa gave me a lot of different, uh, uh, there were a lot of people to play music with. There was a lot that was going on. There was a big punk rock scene. So yeah, uh, you know, knowing your background, that's when I was into thrash and whatnot. And that's kind of what <laughs> I, I started off playing, got my first electric guitar, uh, taught myself, you know, the, the entire Ramones album, the entire Clash albums in, in an afternoon. And that's when I realized this stuff isn't that yes. hard to do, uh, but it's <laughs> it's hard to have the right attitude. Um, and then, um, yeah, my first band, I was actually within four months of moving to, to Ottawa, I had my first band and then we were doing uh, what they called coffee houses, which was not an actual coffee house. It was actually the drama department would, would have these little performances like small talent shows. Okay. So we'd show up to do those and, um, we were pretty, uh, we were a pretty extravagant little, uh, little setup, a little trio, but, uh, we always like to put on different shows. We dress up in costumes and, you know, do these, do these pretty involved different uh, kind of skits and and uh, and and plays uh, with our music. We uh, we did a mix of uh, of covers and original music. Uh, lived there for a few years, then moved to California. 
um, and continue to teach myself. California, I lived in a town that wasn't that that big, Ventura. So there wasn't really a lot that was going on. It wasn't until I graduated high school and then got out. I uh, got to Colorado. In Colorado, actually, there's a, a really vibrant music scene here. So yeah. um, I was able to land in a place that had a lot of roots, a lot of a lot of bluegrass roots, actually. Um, so I was able to be exposed to uh, different types of music and just have a lot of different opportunities to play out. Yeah. Have, have you ever, I have to ask, because I'm going to Red Rocks for the first time, I think, next month. Uh, oh, really? Have, yeah. Have you ever had to play there? Uh, yeah, actually, um, I've yeah. not had the opportunity to play there specifically. I did do a wedding there, so oh, cool. Um, yeah, so that that was that was fun. We actually just uh, just me and, and a buddy were uh, playing acoustic guitar back behind. It was a small wedding, so um, we were just playing a, a couple of little songs. But uh, that was fun. I uh, haven't played Red Rock specifically, but uh, it's on the list. So perhaps this coming summer, we'll see. I don't have anything that's lined up, but if anybody knows, uh, give me a call. We're, we're happy to open for whoever. Cool, cool. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so you've been doing both of these things for, for so long, right? Research mm -hmm. and music. It's both both regular parts of, of your life. Is there anything that you've learned from one that you've applied to the other? Or are they like totally separate spheres for you? No, not not separate spheres. Um, there is, I think, a lot of it's uh, on the ground level. Approach is something that really translates from professional life to musical life, and and, and vice versa. I mean, being self-taught on guitar really, really gave me a lot of tools to be able to be ready to seek out answers in places where they're not evident. So I didn't have guitar teachers who were showing me everything was really, how am I going to figure this out? What tools that I have and what am I going to do to make this work? Where can I go to actually find the tools to make this, uh, to make the song work out or to make what I'm trying to figure out uh, musically uh, work. So that was um, one aspect of things, obviously working in bands, uh, that that's essentially like working in a small team. So everybody has their their place that they play within uh, within the um, the structure of a song, and, and being able to uh, work with others in a way where you complement their strengths and um, and not step on their toes uh, is something that uh, has really been uh, useful professionally. And I think you know another thing is is uh, when I think about it it's kind of like looking at unstructured data, right? I mean, essentially music is, music is technically, it's very technical as far as an art is concerned. So when you're learning how to do it, it's all about these different systems, shapes, forms, timings and whatnot. But what it really comes down to when it comes to having art in your music is essentially being able to take those systems and recognize patterns and then turn those patterns into a compelling story you know we, we talk yeah. about storytelling yep. and in, in, in research all the time and and really that's there's such a such a similarity between the two different uh practices where you're taking you're taking essentially a lot of statistics and in, in research and, and turning it into something that's a compelling story that basically markets what you're what you're what you're looking to market or gives you insight into the mind of of your of your audience and, and your market yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Makes makes tons of sense. Makes tons of sense. So um, thinking now about the the research side, how you know you sort of started in caddy and then you right. sort of expanded your horizons at the the Logic Group. Um, 
and so much has changed as well in the in the research industry over that time. As you think about the future of of research, what what do you see? Well, I see not to be a downer, but I see challenges. Um, there's yeah. a lot of new tools that are coming to the fore. Everybody talks about AI, um, but I think really something that's that's coming up is is privacy legislation. Something that's you know becoming more and more of a focus. And the thing is, it's a patchwork of different types of legislation too. So we're dealing with different layers of whether or not you're talking about it globally with with uh, GDCC versus uh, versus different. Uh, uh, regulations in the states or whether you're talking about the different uh, state level legislation, it's really about assimilating that and then essentially uh, the types of challenges that brings to us as we're starting to look at another challenge, which is uh, you know, online sample quality, uh, which, um, you know, as we're looking at automated solutions for being able to monitor online sample quality and, and people's identities and, and, and how we're holding on to that data. Um, I, I see a lot of uh, just a lot of different challenges as far as uh, what we're going to need to do to be able to wrap that all together. And then as you look to the different tools that are being uh, brought to the table with with AI and whatnot, a uh, challenge I see there is essentially being able to, uh, like we we're talking about with music, essentially take that technology, take that ability. There's a lot of different technology in music now, like in, in recording uh, yeah, studios yeah. and whatnot um but being able to keep that human factor is something that it feels is going to be harder and harder to to hold on to but more and more important because when it gets right back to it both in music and in research we're dealing with humans and being able to to keep that human perspective is something that's really incumbent upon us as professionals uh, to keep on the front burner yes yes absolutely those issues kind of seep seep into pretty much any any all applications around us uh the arts the professional sphere all that sort of thing so um now this is this is a podcast right um and i don't know if you listen to podcasts uh okay if you do okay if you don't but i'm curious to know just big broad media question if you think about the media you turn to for insight inspiration or enjoyment what is what does it look like well honestly i don't spend a lot of time watching media i have a lot that keeps me busy uh between work kids and uh and keeping the music going um, yeah uh, at this point in time i think i've got three bands that i play with and i do stuff on the side but when it comes a lot of what i do is i find a lot of a lot of my time is spent on youtube uh either finding instructional videos uh for for guitar playing um somebody who's uh who's really interesting on on the musical side on youtube is uh there's a guy named uh, rick beato uh, oh yes he does big a lot fan. of them yeah. big fan so you're familiar i mean he's he's got a great background in theory uh but he's also got a great background in music production and he's been around for 30 35 years uh kind of in in the background i don't know if anybody would know who he is uh, aside from folks who are seeing him on on youtube but he brings such a diverse uh set of skills to the table and, and a really kind of unique perspective and he's really as he's grown in his following, I think he's been able to bring more uh, more celebrities, more of those those musical legends uh, to the table to be able to have great conversations with them about what drives them and, and the challenges that they've they've faced and how they've been able to uh, how they've been able to apply their art as as the industry has changed over time because making money in music, even for the best, 
has become more and more difficult, even though there's more and more access. Yeah. And then something yeah. else, I have a lot of uh, interest in um, in early history. So I find myself recently, there's a um, there's a series called Craig and Ford. And essentially it's uh, it's a linguist and, and, and a mythology historian who goes over uh, the the sources of a lot of our mythologies and, and spiritual um, traditions uh-huh. and commingles that with uh, with linguistics and whatnot. And so I, I find that really uh, pretty, pretty compelling. And you know, we're talking about some of the earliest stories that 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 humankind is has has brought to the fore and then carried on with and how they've changed in different places but how there's a common thread something i really think um kind of translates well back into music because it's really back to um you know basically music there's a lot of different uh postulates of how music is and, and different flavors of music when it comes right back down to it it's all telling that story that basically grabs your soul and really either either soothes your soul or 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 motivates you to to keep moving on when when you're dealing with uh with challenges at least for me i found that's what music really is is most for me it's uh it's those two types of medicine. Yeah. Well, that is the perfect segue uh, to, to this question, which is which is the most important question. I mean, let's be honest. So uh, you mentioned, you know, moving your soul. So this is one of those kinds of questions. So let's say, Chris, I don't know if you played lots of different kinds of music, but you're stranded on a desert island and you have three records of your choosing, your choosing to keep you company for the rest of your days. So what, what are you picking? Let's see. Uh, uh, first, I got to make sure I have enough sunscreen if I'm on that desert island. <laughs> oh, that'd be a uh, hopefully, I've got that. Um, but um, let's see. Uh, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I, I would start off with I'm kind of a jazz head, so um, I, I think uh, Miles Davis kind of blue. Oh, nice, nice. Would yeah. be something that uh, I would I would, would want to have with me. Uh, it's it's got it's got a great personnel lineup on there with Coltrane and Cannonball Adderley. Um, also, um, uh, Beethoven Sixth. I think you know I've I've got a I love classical music. Um, yeah. And even though Beethoven Sixth is one of those ones that I think a lot of people know, and it and it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of cliche. I always first off it's it's upbeat. I like it yeah. because it always up uplifts me, and. Um, I've listened to a lot of different classical over over the years, and I just find myself coming back to that one, particularly if I need to pick me up. So by the time I'm done listening to that, I'm usually feeling pretty good. Yeah, and um, and I have a bit of a confession. I'm I'm, I'm definitely a big Deadhead, so I, yeah. I have to have uh, some Grateful Dead. Um, I hope I wouldn't have to have an album. If it's okay, I prefer to have a bootleg. That's uh, fair. That's something. fair. Uh, I'm thinking 1972, like maybe. Uh, Lyceum London, uh, the end of the uh, Europe 72 tour. Uh, it's got some great song songwriting driven songs, but it also has some of their uh, more uh, out there uh, jams included too. So uh, yeah, something from 72, thinking think London 72 probably. Cool, cool. Excellent. Good choices, good choices. Uh, and, uh, you know, hey, maybe if we can get together uh, while I'm in Denver, that'd be awesome. Chat, yeah, chat when are you going to be out here? When are you going to be out here? Oh, uh, gosh, it's uh, it's mid-May. I'll I'll let you know the okay. dates. Um, Who are you so seeing? Uh, we're seeing um, Gary Clark. Oh, okay. Yeah, Gary Clark Jr. Good choice. Gary Clark Jr. 
Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so yeah, I'm super stoked about it. Haven't been there, um, but uh, my wife's very excited too. So we're gonna have lots of fun, take lots of pictures, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, forget, keep... bring a sweatshirt. It could easily be really hot, then really cold, then a little bit warmer again. So always make sure that. That's for anybody who's listening, you're coming to Red Rocks, always be ready for, for a little bit of chill with a thunderstorm. You never know what you're going to get. It could go from yeah. 90 degrees to, to pretty chilly pretty quickly. So you just want to be ready. Got it. Super cool. Well, um, I'll confirm the date for you. Uh, hopefully I can see you when we're in town. Um, and let's, so let's keep in touch. Rock and roll. <laughs>